0: Katie, how are you doing this fine day?
1: Yosemite, pretty good. How are you?
0: (laughs) Wait, what was that? What'd you say?
1: Yosemite. Did you hear about that? No. Donald Trump pronounced the word Yosemite... Yo, Semite.
0: Yo! Oh, so this is like you greeting me as a Semite. Yeah, Yo, Semite. You know, I have to say, while I laughed at first, I feel like you're sort of abusing your the power you hold over me as a non-Jew. <laughs>
1: you know, funny that you bring that up. Our show today is all about power dynamics. And so I wanted to talk to you about the power dynamic between the two of us.
0: Wow, this is going to get pretty heavy. Are you uh, strapped in both butt cheeks? <laughs>
1: both cheeks got them hold them both we're gonna process about our relationship that's a lesbian term i don't know if you're i think that's actually a term in the polyamorous community too but what we're gonna do is process okay okay jesse i'm pretty sure that i'm older than you right
0: well i'm 23 what are you yes
1: i'm 24 <laughs> yeah, i
0: think I, if wait let me see if i let's see how well we know each other i think i'm 36 and you're 37
1: right so i'm i'm slightly older than you but you're male, and I'm female, and you're straight, and I'm gay, so I think that means you're the one oppressing me.
0: I mean, that's pretty insane, given that, as mentioned, I'm Jewish, and at any point, you could launch a p- pogrom against me, and it could be like a whole Nazi thing, so I think you have a lot of power over me.
1: Yeah, I mean, we both know who would eat who on a desert island, so I guess we'll really find out um, who has the power when, it, when it, we get shipwrecked together.
0: <laughs> Can't wait. Come on the bar- blocked or reported cruise. <laughs> Katie, what is the podcast currently going through a live processing trauma?
1: This is Blocked and Reported, and I'm Katie Herzog. And I'm Jesse Single. So our show today is all about relationships with powerful people. And since you and I will never know what that is like, we've decided to bring in an expert. But first, Jesse, you wanted to say something?
0: Yeah. Uh, So if you like this show and you like what we're doing, we hope you'll consider becoming a premium subscriber. This is a program where you pay as little as $5 a month and you get three extra episodes per month. The reason we can do what we're doing today, why we are able to bring on this very exciting special guest, is because of our patrons. There are almost 3,000 of them. It's become this incredible community very quickly. So please consider checking us out at patreon.com, dot com slash blocked and reported.
1: All right, let's bring on the expert. Dan Savage is the author of the sex and relationship advice column, Savage Love, the host of the Savage Love cast. And my former colleague at The Stranger, Dan. Thanks for coming on the show.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, um, you seem to be the expert when we're talking about power power dynamics uh, in relationships. So it seemed like you would be the the appropriate person to have on. I don't know if
2: I'm the expert or the expert, but it does come up a lot uh, on the Lovecast and, and in my columns. Sort of parsing power dynamics. It's something I'm forced to do. Against my will, by people who are more powerful than I am.
1: Are, well, your readers are more powerful than you are?
2: Well, yeah, yeah. Like, I need them. I need their goddamn questions, or there is no column.
1: That's true. I guess they're your bosses. Um, okay, well, let's. we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but first, let's just get sort of the, the facts on the record about this particular story we're going to discuss. Um, so... Alex Morris is a he's currently the mayor of Holyoke, Massachusetts, and he's young. He's 31 years old now, and he was elected to the mayor of Holyoke at the ripe age of 22. I don't know who is is voting in, in, in Holyoke, Massachusetts, but they have a thing for youth there, apparently. Um, so he is currently running uh, in the congressional primary. He's a Democrat against the incumbent named Richard Neal. And Richard Neal is more moderate. He's, uh, he's been in office. This is his 12th term. Um, and, uh, and Morris is sort of the more progressive Bernie, Bernie wing um, of the party. Okay. So in addition to being the mayor, a congressional candidate, Alex Morris is also a former adjunct at UMass Amherst, uh, one of the schools, the the local colleges. And so last week, the UMass College paper publishes a letter that the Amherst College Democrats, a student organization, sent to Alex Morris. And the letter said that he would no longer be welcome at their events. So this was leaked from presumably someone in the Amherst College Democrats, I'm assuming, um, to the paper. And the paper publishes excerpts from this letter. So the reason that this college that the, the Amherst College Democrats banned Morris from from his event, their events was was threefold. So I'm going to read these um, read these allegations against them And these are these are quotes from the letter, direct quotes from the letter. Morris regularly matched with students on dating apps, including Tinder and Grindr, who were as young as 18 years old. These students included members of the College Democrats of Massachusetts, UMass Amherst Democrats and other groups in the state. So that's the first allegation. He swiped right on students, including students as young as as, uh, as 18 years old. And there's a there's a. A picture from his Tinder that's been floating around, and the picture, the screenshot, was from when he was 29, so presumably this was two years ago, and I guess he was, like, matching with students at the age of of 29. Two, using college Democrat events to meet college students and add them on Instagram, adding them to his close friend's story and DMing them, both of which have made young college students uncomfortable. And three, having sexual contact with college students, including at UMass Amherst, where he teaches in the Greater Five Colleges Consortium. I don't think that he is currently teaching, but he has in the past uh, been an adjunct. Okay, so the long story short, these college Democrats are basically accusing Alice Morris of using his status as mayor to pick up students. Um, And so after this, after this was published, uh, Morris released a statement um, apologizing for making students feel uncomfortable and acknowledging that he had had students with the past, not his students, college students, but not his. That's important to note. Um, And he says that this was always consensual and he, quote, will not apologize for being openly gay, for being a young person and going on consensual dates. Okay, so that's the first thing that happens soon after. Morse is disavowed by his allies. Um, he loses a bunch of endorsements. Uh, lefty Twitter sort of is is all in a, in a, in a tizzy with some people accusing him of, of basically me tooing a bunch of college students and others pointing out that like well the guy was young, who else is he supposed to date um, besides other like young people okay. So then The Intercept, the lefty digital publication, The Intercept, published messages between UMass Amherst College Democrats. Um, so, And it turns out that these, according to reporting by Ryan Grimm and The Intercept, this was basically a big rat fuck. So uh, over a year ago, these college Democrats had been planning to outmorse for these DMs that he had with, with a couple people in their organization. And so Ryan Grimm gets a hold of these messages, and they're like... Small talk. I think that would be the way to put it. Jesse, what did you think about the messages?
0: Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, it didn't seem like there was anything really there. It was just a quick, after um, Morse attended an event that both had Neil and this kid he met, there was a quick, like, nice to meet you exchange between. Neil and the kid, right?
1: Right. Uh, it, you know, like, how was your weekend? Um, the kid said, like, uh, we, we, you know, we probably shouldn't, we probably shouldn't call them children or kids. Or <laughs> to argue that they are autonomous.
0: This innocent, this innocent little victim of horrific abuse, who is traumatized as we speak.
1: His, his frontal lobe had not yet stopped developing. His balls hadn't even dropped.
0: <laughs> his fontanel had not yet closed. Yeah.
1: So he, so he basically, like, it's just small talk. The kid says, or, "Okay." The man, the young man, says, "Like, how was your weekend? Or Morris says it to him, and he says, like, I went to visit my mom, you know, the mayor says I went to a parade, which is, I guess, something that mayors do. Um, Yeah, so there's nothing, uh, there's nothing salacious about it.
2: And, and, And wait, and when you read Morris's message, he's clearly just kind of deflecting, like, this kid engaged with him, and he's chit chatting, but he's not trying to get into his pants. And what The Intercept uncovered was a plan a year in the making to entrap Morris, to catfish him, to create ads on Tinder and Grindr in hopes that Morris would respond to them so that then there would be an exchange of messages that were incriminating in the crime being here was a guy in his 20s trying to get into the pants of other guys in their
0: 20s now not that not that this makes a huge difference but it was for what it's worth it was morse who sent the first message to the kid after the event right this
1: is according to according to the intercept after the event morse reached out to abramson on instagram abramson is, is the student to say it was a pleasure meeting um the two had previously matched on timber on tinder but they had never met up so morse sent the first mo- note saying thanks to meet you it's small talk. How was the rest of your weekend? Blah blah blah. Um, so you could you could argue. I guess you could argue that it's inappropriate to like tell someone what was nice to meet them over Instagram. Or, but you could also say it's good politics.
2: And, and wait, someone you previously matched on Tinder means someone who had swiped either right or left, swiped yes, and you had swiped yes. Right. So Tinder, which is an you know an app where you just see someone's face you don't see their resume you don't people don't identify as mayor of tinder on tinder they had previously like matched with each other so there was already a connection so the nice to meet you could just be nice to meet you face to face right right but there was a previously established uh, mutual interest that's what tinder establishes is a mutual interest before you can connect
0: it's, it's also worth pointing out that like the one screenshot we have of this dude's dating profile it's not like i am the mayor like come do stuff to my penis it's just it's very, <laughs> it, it, he doesn't even he goes out of his way not to mention that he's in a position of power
1: no he says like i enjoy good coffee or something like that it's a boring profile i, I think that he really probably should have mentioned that he was a mayor i mean don't you think more people would swipe on that i have power. Absolutely. That's yeah. all. So you're, you're you're ignoring the
0: possibility that good coffee is a euphemism for sex with underage boys.
1: <laughs> this is the key, now the Q and on podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. There were no accusations of underage. The accusation is eighteen and up. Just to be clear, to all our Q and on listeners.
2: But there were accusations, basically from the left, from the woke left, of pedophilia, that this college aged guy who happened to be the mayor. Of this town that is surrounded by colleges and celebrated as, you know, the young gay mayor, was sleeping with basically what would amount to his peers if he wasn't the young gay mayor. But still, is he only allowed to date other young gay mayors? How do these power <laughs> dynamics work? How are you supposed to balance or control?
1: Things? He can only date Pete Buttigieg,
0: right? We need it. We need an online dating site only for gay young mayors.
2: <laughs> I, I got to say that I had a little, you know, out of body experience reading through. And I know that everybody who criticized Pete is the same people who criticized uh, Alex Morris. But the, the rap from like the radical queer left on Pete was he wasn't gay enough because he married the first guy he slept with, the first guy he dated. Mm-hmm. And then along comes Alex Morris and the rap on him is he's too gay. So where do we meet the just right gays? Where's the Goldilocks gay, who's like doing gay just right so as not to seem too heteronormative, but not to seem too what has been weaponized here in these accusations, too predatory, too interested in sex, too interested in sex with I'm sorry, guys his own
0: age. Right, right. Well, actually, Dan, can I ask you about that? Because like in the in the heterosexual online dating world, I think most people would say a lot of people would say 30-year-old male hitting hitting on a 20-year-old female is a little bit creepy. My sense is, among gay males, that would not be seen as like anything like a creepy age divide, right?
2: You know, there's a context for that that's a little complicating. First of all, he was, we don't, like, it's all very vague about when exactly this was happening. He's been the mayor for eight years since he was 22. And he hasn't been a lecturer at that university for, I think, a couple of years. So this was all happening in his mid-20s right? When he was, you know, sleeping with other people in probably their 20s. But there's been this effort to, you know, people have been saying, people I've seen people round him up to 40, say, you know, 30 to 40-year-olds shouldn't be sleeping with 18-year-olds, you know, or quote-unquote barely legal as 18 is called in the porn industry. There's been this this attempt to sensationalize it. Uh, there's also a dynamic in gay land where, you know, you're gay and 18 and out, and a lot of your peers aren't out yet. I think that was more true for, you know, gay men of my generation than gay men now, but it's still kind of true. A lot of people who you could date who may be more age-appropriate aren't out yet. So a lot of younger gay men are interested in older gay men. They've been out a little bit longer. They may know a little bit more about being gay. They may know how to have that thing called gay sex that you didn't wasn't covered in your shitty sex education classes in your schools. And, you know, I know as an older gay person who's online a little bit, that you draw a lot of attention from younger gay men. This whole like daddy boy thing is an actual dynamic. Not that I think Alex Morris read as a daddy. I think he probably read as just like a TA, college age-ish, could be a master's degree guy or PhD guy in in this little universe of colleges surrounding this shitty little town that I'd never heard of before the scandal broke because I live on the West Coast.
1: Oh, well, Dan, okay, so what do you think about this sort of moralizing coming from the left? I mean, to me, that's the interesting thing here is that it, this seems like some moral majority bullshit, but it's coming from good people Democrats. And I, and a lot of people have said that this is homophobic. I actually kind of disagree with that because I think that the allegations would have been even stronger had Alex Morris been, you know, hitting on young women. I mean, as Jesse mentioned, I do think more people would have you know, it would have been creepier. There's not just the power dynamic in terms of age. There's also the power dynamic in terms of sex. Um, but what do you think about this? Yeah.
2: I disagree. There's, you know, millennia of St- you know, stigma attached to gay men, accusing gay men of being pedophiles and predatory and seducing young men into the, you know, secret, horrible, terrible gay lifestyle. Uh, and that gay is something that happened to you, that somebody who'd been gay before, like a vampire, somebody who'd been bitten bites you and then you're a gay too. So what is being weaponized here is really deep strains of homophobic attitudes, but and attitudes that have been used to justify a lot of homophobic violence against Alex Moore. But
1: what if it's coming from gay students? It's, you know, the the guy who set him up was a, was a was a gay guy.
2: Racist shit comes out of racist shit comes out of Candace Owens' math. Like it's possible for gay people to exploit anti-gay animus to take out another gay person.
1: This sure, but this area of the world, this uh, Holyoke, Amherst area is is extremely homosexual. Um, so it's, <laughs> it is. I mean, this is like right. like one of the Seven Sisters is there or seven of the Seven Sisters are there. I'm not but sure look at the reaction
2: that it got right. like everybody you know there was this instant reaction that you know oh he made kids uncomfortable oh he's been praying you know he's been trolling or trawling these college Democrats event for vulnerable young gay ass virgins to fuck. (laughs) And everybody just sort of fell in with this, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. He made people uncomfortable. A crime must have been committed was seemed to be the attitude. And we have to, you know, believe survivors of discomfort. I guess
1: I just I, I'm not convinced that that would have been any different had he had he been straight, and if he had been straight, I think he would have had the added context of Me Too.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I got to say, I, I I would definitely defer to Dan's knowledge of how these tropes have been weaponized against gay men in the past. But I do think there is like, if you're a straight white 30 year old guy in the present climate, and someone's trying to take you down, that is what they would use the idea that you're you know being creepy toward young women either way i mean i agree that what was most disturbing about this to me was the extent to which the rumor took on a life of its own without any evidence and and dan i mean you you write about sex and give advice about sex for a living do you think how much of this is just an online phenomenon because this idea that if someone quote unquote feels uncomfortable that automatically assumes there is a perpetrator i that just doesn't I don't think that jives with most people's, like, experience growing up and becoming sexual. Like, you are going to be uncomfortable at some point, and it doesn't always mean you were victimized, right? I,
2: you know, I completely agree with you. You know, there's that point at which something moves from an innocent misunderstanding that may have made you uncomfortable to harassment or stalking, and that's when you've made it clear to the person that their attentions are not welcome, and they keep coming at you. They keep initiating, flirting, you know, insinuating, hitting on you, and then it is harassment. You know, we're all made uncomfortable when somebody who we're not interested in sexually makes a pass at us because then we're in a position of having to reject them. And that can be hard. And, you know, even if you didn't want to fuck them, like rejecting someone, you know, sometimes you're sensitive to the fact that you're hurting their feelings. Other times you may not feel that you can reject them sexually. if They do have power over you in some insidious way. If there is... If not uh, an implied threat, or you know, a threat that has been made, an implicit threat, or a concern that rejecting this person's advances could, you know, hurt your career, and that's you know, we see that a lot in in Me Too land. Guys, you know, so supposedly innocently, accidentally weaponizing their greater power when they hit on someone that they know may hesitate to say no for fear, even if the guy wouldn't retaliate, the person they hit on doesn't can't know that for sure, and may. "Quote unquote consent to the sex uh, to avoid some sort of retaliation, but just the fact that someone hit on you and made you uncomfortable, it becomes a problem and uh, you know a ding on that person's character. If you've made it clear to them that the answer is no, and they keep hitting on you, and there's no evidence." that he engaged in that sort of behavior at all.
1: There's not even any victims as far as we know, and, and maybe some will come out now, but as, as of yet, there's nobody has stepped up and said like, uh, this guy, I actually feel victimized by this guy. Well, the boss
0: was amazing was the Boston Globe quoted one guy who, who literally said like, we mashed and he didn't mention anything about his status, but he made other people. It's like, you can't have it both ways. Like it, it was so confusing. And it also, um, the, the sort of flight of fancy where you say, well, I, I matched with this guy. The mayor of Holyoke, Massachusetts is going to retaliate against me if I don't meet up with him. You know, you have that on the one side and then you have the, the reality. One aspect of the power dynamics here is frankly that if this guy had said something creepy in a private message, any of these random 18 year olds could have ruined his career. There, isn't there power flowing in the other direction as well? Yes. Yes. like
2: One of the things in the letter from this Democrat college group, the mayor's various positions of power create a significant and undeniable power imbalance between himself and the college students he sought out. Where such a lopsided power dynamic exists, consent becomes complicated. But the risk here isn't just to these college students who may have worried that if they didn't suck that dick, they wouldn't get that whatever it was the mayor had the power to give them. But the mayor, Alex Morris... Is in a position of risk here too, where if he puts a foot wrong with someone, and then turns around, you know, and accuses him of exploiting his greater power to get into their pants, his career is ruined. Which is what it, they literally tried to, you know, falsify here. Like we, we can see the power imbalance that works against this, you know, mayor who doesn't exactly have a nuclear football. Like how powerful is a fucking mayor of a small town?
1: Maybe he could get them a discount on their water bill or something. <laughs>
2: but, but the, the, the look at the power that these invented victims, if they're if, you know, which is what seems to be the case here and you know maybe something will come out between when we record and when you put this out there that there's actually a real victim. But the, what's been marshalled here is bullshit. But look at the power. Like this guy may be ruined politically by this charge that seems to be baseless.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the things uh, noteworthy in the stories, which were it was Ryan Grimm and this other reporter, Daniel Boguslaw. That's a good last name, Daniel Boguslaw. Uh, so the the t- like this top guy at the it was this top group of kids who wrote the letter, and then rank and file college Democrats were were blindsided by it. So I just the blame should go on these top guys. But yeah, either way, the the power dynamics thing is so weird. And actually, Katie, that's something you've written about before. Like, do you remember the? Well, I don't know if we want to go down this road, but like there was this 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 one Jezebel pseudo me tooing that basically acted like if anyone is in the same industry as you, they inherently have power over you if they have like more Twitter followers, and it just isn't a realistic rendering of how power
1: works. Right, and it also ignores that you know besides the fact that. You know, power shifts all the time. maybe someone is older, but maybe the maybe the younger person is hotter. you know like the, the power is it's really fuzzy, and it just moves um and but also power sometimes people are attracted to it, yes,
2: power like Kissinger said is the ultimate aphrodisiac, and this idea that someone with more power is cre- is always creeping on people with less power. Sometimes the reverse is true. Sometimes the more powerful person is the one who is pursued. Sometimes to the point of making that more, quote unquote, more powerful person uncomfortable because the more powerful person worries that if they reject the advances, not that a lot of powerful people are going through sex to (laughs) avoid these charges, but if they reject this person, that this person may accuse them of having hit on them first or initiated. And and there's something else I want to highlight from the, the letter from the college students Mayor Morris is a well-connected gatekeeper to progressive politics in Massachusetts and nationally, which makes the task of refusing his advances fraught for college students who wish to enter progressive politics themselves. There is so much projection in that statement because the gatekeepers that these college students seem to have been sucking up to was Neil, (laughs) that one of them wanted an internship from and thought this was the way to get it. And the task they took on was manufacturing these advances, you know, catfishing this gay man to grease their path into progressive politics over the political corpse of Mayor Morse, and that sentence is just so clearly a Trumpish projection, accusing the other person of doing what you are doing.
1: Right. So after the intercept, um, the, the, the gist of the intercept reporting was basically that this one student in particular, um, his last name was Ennis, um, was a, a, a self. Um, a self, he identified himself as a Neil Stan um, in one of these direct messages. He was trying to get an internship with Neil. The, the Neil Camp has disavowed this whole thing, but it looks like what happened is that these college kids tried to rat fuck Morris.
2: Whether they had been invited to rat fuck Morris uh, by Neil is an open question and maybe an unanswerable one. But they certainly seem to be, in, you know, to have the intent to go to Neil after the fact and say. You're welcome and you owe us.
1: You know, I don't think that this is going to be great on his uh, this kid's CV. I mean, he, I think the amb- it shows a lot of ambition, which is good, but not, but not a lot of capability.
2: Well, now, now now that these private messages have all come out, no, it's not going to be great for these kids. That's the thing about rat fucking is, for the most part, you can't be seen fucking the rat. <laughs> Unless you work for Nixon, like the, 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 the real task of the rat fucker is to not leave any fingerprints, Luby fingerprints on the rat you fuck, <laughs> and this guy, the the you know basically the video of this guy fucking the rats is out.
0: Well, it's like that that old philosopher's riddle of if a rat gets fucked in the forest and no one hears it squealing, <laughs> did any rat fucking occur? Can I, Dan? Can I ask you one more thing about just like the sort of agency question? Because um there's actually a point that the ladies on Red Scare bring up a lot, which is that there are 18 and 19 and 20 year olds who are drawn to sort of locally powerful people who are, you know, 10, 15 years older than them. And there's this thing going on where we pretend I – I think we have trouble understanding what it's like to be 20 because on the one hand you're an adult. On the other hand you're impulsive and stupid and people could take advantage of you. But there's this radical vacillation where like a 20-year-old pursuing a 30-year-old is doing so as – An adult. And then as soon as they say, I was victimized by this person, sometimes even in the absence of evidence, it's like, oh, my God, they're just this poor innocent child. What was done to them? How do you how do you I don't know, address that? I
2: think you have to be very careful about the 20 year olds you (laughs) fuck. Maybe that's how you address it from from this end of the age divide. You know, my, my, my husband is very public about the fact that he has a boyfriend who is 20 years younger than he is. And my husband's boyfriend has basically never slept with a guy his own age. He's just not attracted to guys who aren't forty and up. And what's what's he supposed to do? And and what's the what's the you know does he is it false consciousness? Does he need to be reprogrammed? Does he need to go to? like at least preference in age range conversion therapy.
1: Well, You'd have to make sure there were no daddies at the camp.
2: <laughs> I mean, the, the idea that when, you know, when a 20 year old and a 40 year old go to bed, it's entirely the 40 year old who wants it or initiated it or desired it. And the 20 year old is just, just an inert, I don't know, Ottoman with a hole, I don't know, <laughs> which is not how God. I experienced my twenties. Right. Right, I I had sexual agency. I sought people out. Sometimes older people. It's almost as if you know you reach a certain stage of adulthood, and then your memory of what it was like to be fifteen or sixteen or eighteen or twenty or twenty five, even these days, is somehow wiped clean. Where you have to pretend it was wiped clean. You have to pretend that there's no such thing as a a, you know a horny fifteen year old. There are only horny thirty five year olds and thirty year olds, and below thirty everyone is a houseplant, And then at 30, we go through some sort of magic puberty where we all become predators.
0: We've been looking for merchandise ideas. So I think a blocked and reported Ottoman with a hole could be a really good place to start.
1: (laughs) Maybe we could get Dan to sign it. Um, Dan, so I I do have a question about this. Okay, so you've talked for years. You've been getting questions about relationships like this, older people, dating, dating younger people. So what are the sort of ethical guidelines that you advise your readers and your listeners to if you're a young person dating an old person or a younger or an older person dating a younger person
2: what i talk about is the campsite rule and the the first rule of camping about a campsite is leave it in better condition than you found it and i think that when there is a large age imbalance yeah that is possibly exploitable the younger person may be more naive less experienced and it really the the older person needs to be thoughtful and self-critical and i think the younger person needs to be to, to scrutinize and like involve their friends, you know, make sure that they have peers who are winning and so that they are being exploited or abused. And the older person needs to, you know, not do harm, not um, no unplanned pregnancies. No, I think, promises that you may not be able to keep over the long term. Um, And to really endeavor to leave that person in better shape than you found them. And I've said that about relationships with large age imbalances for a very long time. And my readers have pushed back and said, well, shouldn't that apply to all relationships? You should always be trying to leave the person that you're with if it's for an evening, a weekend, a few years, a marriage that you both survive in better shape than you found them. But I think that when there is, you know, and I'm not Pollyanna about it, you know, when someone's 10, 15, 20 years older than their partner, there is... That is, an ex- that is a situation that could involve exploitation. And so we need to be critical and, and, and I think those relationships come in for more scrutiny than a relationship between two people who were born, you know within a month of each other. That said, we've all had friends and relationships with people who were there, you know, in the correct age demo for everyone to feel a little bit more comfortable about it, who were exploited, who were abused. We're taken advantage of sexually. And so, you know, just two people being born at the exact same moment or roughly close isn't magic that protects everybody from exploitation or abuse or winding up with a shitty boyfriend or girlfriend or envy friend for a little while. All relationships should be scrutinized, but because of the, you know, the younger person being more vulnerable for in certain ways, predictably more vulnerable, but not always, yeah, those relationships come in for more scrutiny. And the older person, if they don't want to be a shit, should really work at leaving that person in better shape than they found them.
0: What do you what do you make of this thing going on where, at least superficially on the left, there, there's a wave of just sex positivity, uh, which has had many good results. I mean, you talk about reforming laws to make sex workers safer, normalizing that. But then it sometimes seems like the same people who are mostly under 25 take this very puritanical stance at the drop of a hat, including here. They're just sort of conflicting societal forces going on here or what?
2: Yeah, the sex negativity is shot to the culture. And in some ways, I think sex negativity is hardwired. You know, I, I, we all remember when we first were told about sex when we were very small children and we were like, oh, my God, that's disgusting. I can't believe my parents did that. I will never do that. And then along comes puberty and you get dragged off into this dark alley with everybody else. Uh, Unless you're asexual. Shout out to the asexuals out there who don't get dragged off into that dark alley. And I think that experience of hitting puberty and almost becoming, you know, interested in sex against your will instills, because of our extended adolescences and our long childhoods in the human species, instills a kind of like gut sex negativity in us all. That said, there is kind of this left-wing puritanical paranoia about sex and desire. And and I think that's because sex is dangerous. You know, I once was giving a speech at a college back when I used to do that sort of ridiculous thing. And this girl said that she'd never had sex because she was scared of sex and wanted to know how to be less scared of sex. And my response was, you should be scared of sex. Sex is scary. You can get pregnant. (laughs) You can get a sex with infection. You can wind up in bed with Jeffrey Dahmer. Like there are risks and you should think about them that said like we're almost oversensitized now to the way power plays out in sex and this attitude that it is if there is any power imbalance that the relationship is inherently exploitative or abusive when we all and, and that's i think a sex negative kind of thoughtless impulse because there is no relationship that doesn't involve power imbalances Period. The end. Unless presidents can only sleep with presidents. Like, oh my God, it was terrible. Clinton got a blowjob from an intern. Okay. Was he supposed to, if he wanted a blowjob, have Jimmy Carter around to suck his dick? Who was supposed to suck Bill Clinton? That,
0: that would be so hot. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we'll start a new organization called Blowjobs for Humanity.
1: And Jimmy Carter can There's a porn for that. I mean, one thing that was interesting to observe with this case is that – the people who were appalled by by Morse's alleged actions, a lot of a lot of what I saw the commentary online after it was revealed that maybe that he was set up and that you know there have been no actual victims, there was just this real, real lack of introspection there. Um, I, I saw a tweet. I'm, I'm going to read this to you. I, I won't call the guy out, but I think this is indicative of this. This guy writes. I will never apologize for believing people when they make allegations, whether it's full blown sexual assault or feeling deeply uncomfortable. So even if the allegations against Alex Morse are fabricated, I stand in the fact that I believe the accusers. Look,
0: Katie, were some witches burned unfairly? Yes. (laughs) Was our village tortured (laughs) by witchcraft? Also, yes.
2: You know, I've talked about this on the show, and I think I threaded the needle successfully for my listeners. Like, believe women, believe survivors, believe victims – that can be weaponized by bad actors, as seems to have been the case here. We need to take seriously accusations. We need to investigate. You know, the believe women was a response to women being disbelieved and dismissed when they came forward or, or attacked or slut-shamed or uh, dragged. And so the the posture isn't credulous acceptance of any allegation without any evidence, or in this case, in the case of this letter, without any anything except discomfort, uh, the, the the corrective isn't credulousness. It's take seriously when a woman comes forward and, and assess, which is what happened with Tara Reid. Everybody took that fucking seriously and looked into it. And the more and more we looked into it, the more and more it fell apart.
1: So one of the reporters who broke the Tara Reid story was Ryan Grimm. The Intercept was founded in part by Glenn Greenwald. They are not shy about their politics. It's a very lefty group. And I do wonder if Ryan Grimm, who I think I trust in this reporting, I thought his reporting on Tara Reid was sort of egregiously bad. But I do wonder if The Intercept would have touched this, if it had been the moderate who was getting rat fucked uh, and the progressive doing the rat fucking. Um, And I have seen people bring that up as well. I do think there are valid reasons to question the motivation of the reporting. That doesn't mean that the reporting isn't, isn't valid or isn't correct.
2: Well, if we have partisan media on all sides, then all sides, which is the direction we seem to be headed in, then we can trust the lefty media to dig into accusations, uh, about lefties and the moderate we need to take into accusations about moderate
0: it's so just it's so frustrating that that's the direction we're headed so I think you're absolutely right there's no if this had been reversed you know it, it's sort of like if the races in the central park Karen thing had been reversed it would have just been done totally differently it just seems um trivially obvious and that's it's not good that we have such balkanized media
2: well there wouldn't have been a story if the races in the central park Karen had been reversed because of that there's a African-American man threatening my life that shit that she was tapping was That's true. completely racialized and she knew exactly what she was doing he
1: could have said that he was going to call the police and tell them that there was a Karen threading his life
2: <laughs> there's a Karen demanding my manager <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, Dan, I wanted to ask you, so you've been doing this, you've been doing the column and the podcast. Uh, I hate to admit that there is another podcast, but you actually have the first podcast for fucking ever. The column is what? Almost 30 years old?
2: Almost 30 years old. Yes. Yeah. So I get letters from people whose parents wrote me for advice before they were born, which makes me want to die.
1: Actually, your column is older than Terry's boyfriend.
2: <laughs> <laughs> true. True. Y- younger than mine, though, I'm happy to say. <laughs>
1: Um, So how have the the questions changed over the years? I'm sure you get some like, uh, you know, a lot of um, the same stuff over and over and over. But in terms of like the ethos right now, uh, you know, Jesse and I have talked a lot on the podcast about this sort of shifting taboos and shifting morality on the left. And I'm curious, like, you know, do you get do you get more questions about being uncomfortable um, and these sort of power dynamics than you did 30 years ago? I really don't.
2: And, And maybe that's. Because of my column or the readership that I've attracted, Uh, you know, it is a kind of sex positive place where people feel entitled to their uh, desires and acting on them. Um, The big shift has been everybody used to describe themselves as bi as pan and the questions are all situational ethics. You know, I used to write a sex advice column where I instructed people on how to, you know, get a fist into their ass if that was something they wanted to do. And I could break that down in 1,200 words, and, and now like Fisting has a Wikipedia page, and you don't need me to break it down for you. Uh, so the questions I always get are basically, you know, kind of, am I the asshole? Uh, AI TA style. I love that Reddit uh, AI TA style questions for like the last ever since the internet came along. I did this, they did that. I feel this, they feel that. Who's the asshole? Who's wrong? Um, and people write me because if they're wrong, I will tell them.
1: Do you think that people, and I guess I specifically mean queer people, um, are more fragile than, than they used to be? I, I was listening to, to Andrew Sullivan on The Fifth Column yesterday, um, and he was talking about sort of how the humor has been sucked out of the, out of the queer community in recent years. And I feel the same way. Um, I wasn't there, you know, during the, the 80s and 90s when you were. Um, but how do you see that as cha- changing over the years? Or has it? it?
2: It does. You know, I agree with what Andrew said about a lot of younger gay people seeming to be humorless, or maybe their humor is lost on us old fags in some way. Uh, But there was this willingness to just violate taboos, to say what couldn't be said. And now we all tiptoe around worrying that maybe we just said what shouldn't be said.
1: Right. The gay people are enforcing the taboos rather than breaking them. Or the queer people, the pan people.
2: Yeah. And this... There is does seem to be this, you know, Barack Obama talked about this in his the the speech he gave uh, about basically cancel culture two years ago. Mm -hmm. This everyone seems to be, you know, constantly laying in wait for someone else to put a foot wrong so that you can scream at them and make yourself look better. Uh, And that there seems to be just tons of that in in queerland, which I think is really dangerous when it applies to queerland because most people don't come out until. You know, late teens, early 20s, and most people who look queer come out knowing nothing about queerness because the information isn't easily available because queer people don't raise the next generation of queer people. And there's this learning process, and all queer people are kind of on this steep curve when they come out where they begin to learn more and more. And if you're just sandbagging people or piling on to people who are 19 or 20 or even 25, some people come out at 30 because they use the wrong word or they you know, didn't realize how racist it was to say not into black guys, just my preference on a dating app. Uh, and, and then, you know, they're told that that's racist and shitty they think about it, they stop um, hopefully. And then they're replaced by new young queers who don't know any better and have to be told and stop. And anyway, it's just been my experience. You know, it's been my observation. There's just a lot more f- fault finding, a lot less compassion and patience. These days, and I think the internet's to blame. I think uh, I, I, I really do think that um, the anonymity of the internet and the sort of swarming that it that it allows allows for has has reinforced and created those technologies.
1: I also think it's interesting that like you live through the AIDS crisis, like a real fucking crisis. You know, your friends were dying. Um, I, I know gay men who lost every who, everybody that they knew died. Um, who are you know your age and, and, a, and a little bit older, but they but they had this this real sense of resilience. And now we live in a time where it actually for I mean aside from some of the, the Trump administrations like egregious uh, actions against trans people for the most part we live in a time in the United States when it has never been better to be a sexual minority than right now in history in the history of this country
2: But it does seem, it, it does feel perilous you look at what's happening in Poland you look at what's happening in uh, you know, Russia.
1: But that's not going to happen Chris here. Chris
2: would said, and I agree with him, that um, social tolerance can reach a high watermark and then proceed out of sight. So some of the paranoia about, you know, the way we live now, the gains we've made, the visibility, the rights, uh, some of the paranoia is, I think, informed by how fragile it all feels. That said, I, I do think that sometimes there's a lack of perspective. Like you do sometimes, you know, talk to a 22 year old, um, gay person or queer person and want to shake them and say you don't you don't realize uh not how good you've got it you know that the, the stone in your shoe is the stone in your shoe the stones in my my shoes were all stones is what it felt like 30 years ago you know what i mean? um that doesn't mean the stone in your shoe doesn't hurt but you know if you didn't ever have a fucking boulder in your shoe maybe you don't have the perspective and if you don't ever talk to older gay men or older queer people Or you dismiss older queer people, uh, except when you're, you know, saying something generally, you know, just about, well, we love our queer elders, but we're not going to listen to them (laughs) about anything.
0: Well, but that that was something that came through nicely in the Sullivan interview is like he has a certain incredulousness at this language of harm and vulnerability and feeling unsafe when it's in the context of like, Oh no! Someone a few years older than you hit on you on a dating app. He he just he was saying like that's so removed from what LGBT people have gone through just in the last couple generations. I, I I could see some frustration at sort of the inflation of harm as a concept. Yes, and the weaponization of
2: of fragility. You know, there's there's a lot of sort of posturing around. You know, there's legit harm, and then there's I don't know people who pretend that they were harmed for the cultural currency of it, or, or or even, you know, psych themselves up into believing that they were harmed or magnify the, the harm done for the cultural currency of it in this moment.
1: Yeah. There's real, there, as you say, there's real currency in, in victimhood right now, but, but the problem to me, it, it seems. But
2: that doesn't mean there's no victims. right? And that doesn't right, mean sure. that somebody who's, uh, you know, trying to cash in the currency of their victimization wasn't actually victimized. But sometimes there's no sort of resiliency, like Andrew says, or perspective on the, the scale
0: can, of it. Can I juice plain one example of this? <laughs> <laughs> if 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 you're if you're Jewish and you're on Twitter, at some point some asshole fifteen year old will send you a photo of Auschwitz and This 15-year-old has no actual power over you, and you do on some level have to make a conscious decision, am I going to freak out and tell everyone how wrongly I was oppressed because a mentally ill 15-year-old sent me a photo of Auschwitz, or you really can just block him and move on? And I do think like, there's real instances of harm and harassment, but there is something in the air right now where it's like it almost benefits you to pretend the mentally ill 15-year-old has some power over you culturally.
1: Right. Well, you mm-hmm. post the screenshot on Twitter, and then you get a billion likes.
2: I see people do that, and I just think, oh, "Holy shit!" Like, I have been getting hate mail and death threats because of my column for decades. I'm still not dead. No one's killed me yet.
1: Much to your chagrin,
2: uh, <laughs> Clinton. Crisp used to talk about how, like, he's he was this uh, writer, uh, the naked civil servant, sort of this cultural figure on all the talk shows in the '70s, and out and gay and very femme. Um, and his phone number was in the New York City phone. Because he liked taking calls from strangers and just chatting, but he would get death threats, and people were like, "Why do you have your phone number out there? Aren't you worried about these death threats?" And his point was, you know, the people who someone who's going to kill you doesn't call you and let you know <laughs> first. So it's, it's the people you haven't gotten death threats from. I'm going to come. In, I'm going to be at your apartment yeah. at two thirty. <laughs> right. It's the people you they, they jump out of the bushes and kill you. So it's actually the people <laughs> who didn't call you with a death threat that you need to worry about, and not the people who
0: did. Now that I've said it out, now that I've said it out loud, I think getting murdered by a Nazi would be so good for my internet clout. So I'm gonna sort of look into that.
1: Oh God, yeah, I'm gonna capitalize on that if it ever happens, Jesse. <laughs>
2: but I know, how, but I know how unpleasant that shit can be. I know how unpleasant it can be on the receiving end of that shit. Some of the worst kind of that shit I've ever gotten though has been from other queer people.
1: Yeah, so so talk about that. I mean, who hates you these days? When I look at who's who's like <laughs> shitting on you on the internet, it is almost always like young people with like uh, anime avatars on Twitter. They're not Republicans. Yeah. The, the-
2: that is my experience, too. Yeah, anime avatars on Twitter. I, I mean, I get, like, you're going to, you know, die of AIDS already. The people who are waiting for me to die of AIDS have really been so patient.
1: <laughs> you're going to die of old age, age.
2: <laughs> Old AIDS. I will die of old AIDS. Yeah, old AIDS. Um, but, you know, yeah, the, like, some of the most – yeah, and it's the narcissism of small differences that infuses it. And also this, you know, perception of power that seems illegitimate or unearned. I, I write this column and straight people read it. Andrew like writes and a lot of straight people read it. And a lot of queer people are furious at Andrew for wrong think 20 years ago about marriage when that was something that everybody opposed, everybody in queer land on the queer left opposed. Um, and, and he was perceived as a greater threat, not because he had a, a big audience of other gay people reading him, but because he had a big audience of straight people reading him. And I think that's often the case with the like angry queer anime avatar idiots on. Twitter is that they're going after gay people and queer people who usually have the ear of the majority or ear of, you know, a slice of the majority and that is straight people. And there's something infuriating about someone like me or someone like Andrew or someone like Pete sending the wrong message because of the wider audience.
1: That's interesting. I mean, you both fought for gay marriage, but you both, also fight for pervs um you know it seems like it seems like people should appreciate that but i i mean thank you i mean i've Mm -hmm. i've noticed just it it (laughs) just it from my own experiences with this online shit it really it queer people can be the fucking worst towards each other um i don't know why why that is
2: or i don't know is it that queer people can be the worst or that we feel it more acutely it hurts more.
1: It hurts more. It does not hurt when it, when like a MAGA freak fucking you know tells me to go kill myself at all. You just ignore it and go on. Um, but when someone who's your you know political ally or you think is your political ally comes for you, it, it certainly has a more a bigger emotional impact. You can't be canceled yeah. by the other side.
0: Pragmatically, it doesn't threaten you at the stranger or wherever else if the MAGA people get mad at you. But when people in your community are mad at you, like there's a rational reason to be more worried about that.
2: Right, and that's the point that you guys have made that I think is absent from a lot of conversations about cancel culture, like the the daily two episodes in cancel culture. And they never got around to saying this, which is you're not canceled by your enemies. You're canceled by your uh, theoretical or presumed allies. The cancellations are done, are, are in group, not I
1: yeah, I mean, a lot of people, I think, have made the the mistaken argument that Milo Yiannopoulos was um, like the deplatforming effectively canceled him, which I, I don't think is true. I think he was canceled because he finally said the thing that pissed off the right.
0: That that drove me crazy because he be- he so clearly benefited from being deplatformed from like the footage of of Berkeley going crazy. He that's absolutely right. But yeah, you yeah. can only get canceled by your own side. Yeah,
1: um, Jesse, do you have any more questions for Dan?
0: Yeah. so so actually, um right as we sat down to record this, the intercept posted uh, a new story. I'll just read one sentence from it. yeah, so it points out that the uh, Massachusetts State Democratic Party had tried to stay on the sidelines of this. However, behind the scenes, the state party had been coordinating with the College Democrats of Massachusetts to launch those very allegations, according to five sources within the state party and connected to the college Democrats. So, what this tells us is like the establishment really did work to try to to rat fuck Morris and, and I guess my only reaction is like when you have these superficial understandings of power dynamics and you, you jump on those to be part of the crowd, what all these people who spread these allegations did online was to help rat fuck the more leftist progressive candidate, a guy from a working class background. He got fucked by the establishment and you helped him do that by you know by pretending that he had horribly wronged these kids. I just think there's a useful lesson here.
1: Yeah. uh, Well, we'll see who wins the election. Um, If he, this, it might end up actually being good for him. I mean, he's now famous. um, So name recognition certainly helps.
2: Yeah. If it, if it, if it happened far in advance enough of um, the primary to, maybe it'll help him. I'm tempted to make a donation. (laughs) I haven't made a donation before. And, And, you know, people didn't just help the party rat fuck. You know, they helped the party rat fuck the more liberal progressive, candidate by succumbing to paranoia and sex negativity and bullshit assumptions about 20-year-olds having sex with 20-year-olds and false beliefs about or false consciousness about some utopia where sexual relations only exist in power vacuums and they don't and never have and never will.
1: Uh, Maybe things are different in Mount Holyoke. (laughs)
0: Not, not Mount Holyoke.
1: Holyoke. A lot of lesbians there. <laughs> Holyoke. Oh yeah, Mount Holyoke. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's
0: one of the seven. I always forget how many sisters there are. I think there's seven sisters, but that is seven
1: one. scissoring sisters. There are
0: so, yeah.
2: there are two innuendos in Mount Holyoke. There are two like sex terms in that. <laughs> Three, if you like regard oak as wood.
0: That's what we're going to call our oak ottoman with a hole. Mount Holyoke. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, before before we let you go, are there any revelations you want to make about the ways in which Katie abused her power at the stranger? <laughs> um,
2: Golly, she did keep chips in her desk, which sometimes I did. led me to walk over and have some chips, and then we would have conversations yes. um, that – that implicated me in the eyes of others <laughs> as, as a, a rock criminal. Guilt
1: by association.
2: And I was just in it for the chips. I just I was
1: luring it. him over with the chips. It doesn't. My body doesn't work with Dan Savage, so I use chips.
2: The good lesson for everybody out there who's a, a vagina haver, a, a person who menstruates, <laughs> who wants my attention: bowl of chips, some salsa.
1: <laughs> Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much.
2: Thanks for having me. I, I, I also really enjoy your podcast. Um, I have thank
1: say. you, Dan. Thank
0: you, Dan. I love that guy. Dan is the man.
1: Yeah, Dan's pretty good.
0: Uh, Did you have any other closing thoughts on this whole Morse thing? I feel like by the time this is live, there'll be even more revelations about all this mass Democratic Party corruption bullshit.
1: You know, I think you're right about that, because while we were talking to Dan, I got an intriguing DM from a former member of the UMass Dems um, who says that the executive board is trying to cover their asses right now. So uh, stay tuned for more reporting on that. Not from us, from other people.
0: Definitely. Uh, Before we close out, can I just do one quick correction?
1: Yeah, please do. So
0: in the last episode, we talked about the idea of Munchausen by internet. That's the phrase, right? Yes. So I, I slightly misdescribed Munchausen by proxy, which I believe is the old name for this, but it's a mental disorder where a caretaker, usually a mom, will intentionally make a child sick. I had phrased it inaccurately. I'd said that, that the, the mom, for example, thinks the kid is sick. That's a different thing. To be clear, in what used to be called Munchausen by proxy, I believe it has a new name now, that involves the intentional infliction of harm on a kid to generate symptoms. So I just wanted to uh, to correct that.
1: Uh, well, that's good, Jesse. We should always be very transparent with our mistakes. Especially the ones that you make.
0: Yes, absolutely. Especially the ones that people notice and email about us. So always feel free to do that.
1: All right. Uh, thank you all for listening to the show. Don't forget to sign up for our Patreon if you have some money you want to throw our way and want to join our, our community of listeners.
0: Yeah, you can also always email us at blocked and reported podcast at gmail.com. Check out our subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash blocked and reported. And definitely continue to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. This has been Blocked and Reported. I'm Jesse Single. And remember, When you're buying an ottoman with a hole, don't go for the cheapest model. Go one
1: tier up. And I'm Katie Herzog. And also remember, the older, richer person always has the power in the relationship unless there's no prenup and the will has already been signed.